Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about house rules. House rules. Yes. So I think this happens almost to any game that you purchase or people make house rules. Uh, the classic example of a, of a game that has house rules of the yin yang is Monopoly, right? And what's funny is when I was a kid growing up, we played a certain way. And I thought those were the rules. It was really weird. It because, was the rules for you. Well, yeah. Not the official rules, though, because we at some point we had lost the rules to the game. So I was going just based on what how my... And I was a little kid. I mean, I started playing probably when I was five, six years old. Uh, mainly because all my siblings are much older than me. And I wanted to be like a big kid. And so it forced me to... It didn't force me, but I really wanted to play with them. So, you know, I learned early how to play all kinds of games. I played this certain way and then when I played with the as an adult later on, people were playing so I go, You can't do that and they're going, What are you talking about? I don't know, because like here's a couple of house rules we had. We had to go around twice before we could buy property around the board. Okay, that's not a real rule. That's not a real rule. Uh what was the other one? Uh park place. We, we all the money from taxes would go into park place. That's not official rule either. I forget what other rules where they had. They had my my siblings. So when I was <laughs> kind of it was kind of troubling when I know that these are the rules, right? And then I go to to play with strangers, and they're like, "What are you talking about? You can start buying property right away." I'm like, "What? <laughs> really?" They're like, "Yeah." And so I'd go like, "Can you show me the rule?" And there it is in the rules. And there's all kinds of rules I didn't know about. About, you know... You're talking about one of the games that I have never liked. I, right. A lot of people don't like it now, but it is still... No, I didn't like it when I was a kid either. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, you know, I liked it because it was fun to me. And uh, I, and there almost, I don't think I ever really won because I was a little kid and my siblings were much more savvy. You know, my next oldest brother is, is five, four or five years older than me. And it goes up from there, so... Yeah, I'm sure they took advantage of my nativity and the money aspects of that game. So, uh, when D&D comes out, same thing happens, right? People read D&D, they play D&D, and immediately, uh, some people say it's because the rules are written so strangely, or in some archaic language, and they you know they call this High Gygaxian, you know, because he kind of speaks in this, like, or rights, I should say, in this weird manner, you know. And I, I never thought much of it. I thought it was kind of like this guy's trying to be like a medieval guy or something, and so, I, or or whatever. And that's why I thought it was a little bit strange, the way he wrote, maybe. But I, didn't, I don't remember really even entering my brain. But because of that, because people he wrote supposedly in a certain way, some people didn't quite didn't quite understand exactly what he meant, or. You know, he's this is the first game of a role playing game, and so maybe people he didn't really realize how to get his concepts to on paper for anybody to understand. I'm sure we all try to write instructions for people to follow, and sometimes people can't follow your instructions, right? Because either they're badly written or they're written in a way that the other person doesn't have an idea, a, a concrete idea of what your meaning is. Well, I also, we've already talked about rule zero. And which, which is what? Rule zero is that if 
if you don't like the rules, you should change them to make sure it works for your group. <laughs> now and that, the GM that, can always change the rules. That's from D&D, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think Gary Gygax, when he wrote, and Dave Arneson, when they wrote D&D, original D&D, and Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, it was like that. It, he put it in the book. These are guidelines. These aren't you know hard and fast rules. Change what you like and add what you think aren't missing, right? And so he invited people to do that. People did it. And some people were like, well, they're kind of inter- it's an interesting concept of role-playing, but I don't like all these weird dice, right? And some people, like, they they house-ruled the heck out of D&D that they basically made their own game, and that's what happened. Right? Well, a lot of people do that with a lot of different games, right? That's what yes. house rules are. Right. They're things that you don't like it a certain way, so you're going to do it your own way. And that's exactly what, what I'm saying is that it applies to D&D because it was the first RPG and, and, and it happened quite a bit. For example, I was thinking of uh, Tunnels and Trolls, which is the second uh, published RPG. And basically... Uh, Chainmail was... You always tell me Chainmail was out there too. Well, Chainmail is a miniature game. Oh, okay. Miniatures with some fantasy elements. I forget his first name. St. Andre is his last name, who wrote Tunnels of Trolls. And he calls himself the Troll Father somewhere on the, on the inner tubes. But he, the same thing happened to him. He was looking at D&D, and he liked the concept of the whole idea of role-playing, but he didn't like the funny, funny dice. He thought it was a little bit too confusing, and he wanted to make an easier game. And he came out with Tunnels and Trolls. And in 1978 or 70-something, 76 it might have been he came he published them and you know and that's like taking house rules all the way to well i don't even know if you call that house rules because he just basically it was a new game it was a new game yeah but i think but i I think it was like he probably you know he played D and he didn't just didn't like it he said he tried to change the rules here and there and then he finally decided that he was making his own game right well that's how most new games came about (laughs) right well so but that's a that's a lot of work, uh, and that's much more than just house ruling things here and there. So, what are s- some examples of house rules for D and D or oh. any games? Well, I mean, oh wow, I See, I can give you some. Well, I'm just going to talk about them. Yeah, we can. But I I don't think the thing is my brother who got me to play D and D, and I was my GM for the longest time. He didn't house rule a lot. He liked playing by the rules that, that were written. Well, as a rules as written, to call it raw for short. And you'll see that everywhere where you talk about D and D. And and so he didn't really house rule too much. I don't remember anything house ruled. I mean, not not that it comes to my brain that I can remember. But there were people out there who def, definitely house rule stuff. For example, I don't. I can't give you too many examples because I don't. I never really house ruled a lot. Well, we've talked about rolling your ability scores. Your and one thing that some people do is they have specific house rules. They've for fixed ability scores or the way that you. This is the way you're going to do it instead of the way the book says. Right. And so that's one of the things that a lot of people use house rules for, which yes. I didn't know after having a very long discussion with Michael about it not (laughs) for a couple months we talked about all the different ways you could roll up characters the way the rules are written the way that that it should be done and how not to 
to pacify or coddle your um, your your players. Yeah. And then I oh, I'm reading about house rules and there's people out there who have specific a specific set of of, of fixed ability scores. And one of the reasons they they did it was because that way mini maxers couldn't mini max as much and people who wanted to play their flaws out always had an opportunity oh yeah. and so they they're specific the specific one i looked at they said these were the were the fixed ability scores 17 15 13 12 10 and 8 now that's that changes the other one that which was the highest one is what 16 yeah in the original in the original rules yeah, you know, and that seems kind of minor to me. I don't know. I don't know what it, what what the end result is. You said it prevents the mini maxers, but but uh, you know, that just that's what D and D is, or any role playing game is. It's it's yours to change as you see fit. I think uh, one of the biggest changes that I've heard all the time in D and D was a changing from spell slots in the old days. Because what would happen is, okay, in the old days, I mean by A D and D. And and even uh, 3.0, you know, you had spell slots for everyday use. This was clerics and every spell thrower. And so when, when you ran out of spell slots, when you threw all the spells and, and all your slots... Then you were done for the day. Then you were done. And so as a magic user, you became uh, just another target. And your attack, your ability to attack was basically almost nil unless you had a, a wand of fireballs or or wands and stabs that help you keep fighting and no because it's a combat game really keep fighting and being in the thick of it and uh and stay in the game and stay active and playing uh so what a lot of people did and I, this was really popular was instead of spell slots they gave them spell points and what that allowed them to do you get 100 points for for the day and what though it once your spell points were gone they were gone but it would let you pick where you want to spell, spend your points or your power like if you want to throw a fireball three times and then you're done then that's it you know you, you, you know because like some people you know, sometimes you're like oh, i got all these first level spells and they're basically useless against this creature we're attacking so you convert those all the you know you figure out a system i've never played in the system they use spell slot spell points but uh, i mean D D. but i i like that idea and i've always thought about changing it but i was well, like fifth edition kind of changed it because you have spell slots and you have spell points or i don't know sorcery points whatever depending on there's your... that but they also made cantrips or they used to call yes. them cantrips what do they call they them are car- still cantrips are they the, the lowest one yes levels zero level you spells? can cast them as many times as you want yes and they actually make make those some of them there's at least one of them at least in the in the arcane there's a couple of them that you can actually in the arcane that yeah. you can just keep throwing and throwing and they do they don't do a lot of damage but they right. do a little bit of damage so they keep you in the fight is what yeah. I'm saying even at low levels well magic rules was number four on my list <laughs> and I, of things changed yeah of, of oh, things yeah. that people change oh, so the, oh you have a hierarchy oh. no I just have a list okay. it's not a hierarchy oh so it's not a hierarchy that's pretty good cool. but I mean I remember hearing that oof from uh well if you think about it the poor wizard or sorcerer has like between one and and four hit points when they start out right oh in the original original and i don't know about 3.0 i think they give them a six side die so that's between one and six hit points (laughs) plus constitution (laughs) bonus if they have yes 
constitution bonus. So, so, so <laughs> it's not like your your sorcerer, or your magic user is um, going to go out of their way to stand in the middle of the field to throw their spells, right? They're going to be doing it from the side, somewhere where they can hide you or hide standing or behind, behind somebody. people, definitely. Because that was always my my tactic is to get behind one of the the big ugly guys that's in front of me fighting things that does a lot of damage. Because I figure they'll probably save me if I get into trouble. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. And even it was even worse in original D anD D when you literally had one through four hit points. Right. And if you rolled a one, oh my god, it was terrible. And you only had what, like three spells you could throw, or even one <laughs> when you were first level. I think it was really low. I think you know you probably could toss one or two, maybe three at first level, and there were first level spells. And and back then you you didn't get to pick your spells; it was random. Right. You rolled roll dice. Oh, I create water or whatever. <laughs> so I create water. Yeah, you know, and so I think even back then, even when we were playing original D anD D. My brother goes, well, you could pick one spell. And so the first one you've always picked is... It's the the one where you throw magic the missile. magic missile, yeah. Because yes, that's the only offensive spell. Yeah. And it automatically hit. You didn't have to roll to hit. And I actually like Dancing Lights better, but... <laughs> no, I'm lights. kidding. Magic Missile is one of my favorite spells. Of course. I mean, it's it's the bread and butter of, of the wizard. Right? Yeah. Or... Or sorceress. Sorcer- well, you know, we didn't have sorcerers. Well, sorcerers didn't come into play until... Third edition? Third edition had... So what happens? You know, you change the rules here and there. Uh, what else are some popular things that change? Um, experience. Ooh. So, oh, yeah. So we had this conversation just <laughs> yesterday with some of the people we were playing with. And I am of the mind that... See, Salt has taught me how to do experience. So the way... And, and I didn't know that you could do it different ways. But <laughs> it's really complicated, okay, for D&D. And I, it was even worse at the beginning because... When you killed the monster, you got the experience points. Oh, that was AD and D. Oh, AD and D. Okay, fine. I think but, they changed that in third edition. But now it's you take the monster level, and then it tells you how many how many points, points he's worth. Yes, he's it's worth. worth. And then, um, and then from there, you take it. You add them all up. However many monsters they they however many encounters they had, and then you divide it by the number of the group. That's the way Salt does it. So, but. I recently played in a dungeon or I'm running a dungeon crawl for people that are like 11th level and the monsters are a lot of them, a lot of hit points. And I didn't want to get out my calculator and have make a spreadsheet or (laughs) anything to figure it out. So I was just like, okay, I looked at what level they were. I looked at how many hit points they are not hit, how many experience points they had. And I go, okay, I'll give them a, a level, make them not quite to the next the, I'm not giving them two levels, and for although I probably could have, so I just made up a number. I said everybody gets nineteen thousand five hundred experience <laughs> points. You're twelfth level, and see you tomorrow. Update your character. <laughs> for me, I don't think it's that hard. I just look at the the creature's CR level, and you know the way it, it's. I mean, it's for, not hard. It's just a lot of work. Yeah, I, I don't think it's to me. It's not a big deal, and so uh, I just plug in the numbers, and and then I do whatever my voodoo magic and out it's just out comes the the magic experience number but since i didn't actually i didn't want to go back and look at all the monsters i was like oh you yes. know i i'm i i don't have a lot of time right now and i know they want to level up so they're right there to level up anyway so i let them do it 
And I guess that could be. An, and then when we were talking to Morgan, he said that he used to use a spreadsheet and calculate all the different ways and figure out. Oh, who, for three point five, he said. Yes, and he gave that up and switched to the um, merit based. Did he say merit based? Yes, he called it merit based. So, so basically, you know, once they hit my hit certain milestones, then he yeah. Would, and I think that's fine. And and one guy I was reading said, yeah, I my house rule is that I decide whenever you go to the next level. So he goes, and usually I decide at the end of every session that you're going to go up a level. So or, or at the end of every, you know, game that you play. So oh. I go, that must be an interesting, an interesting group to play with. <laughs> well, you know, the thing so is, those are house yeah, rules, right, for that. Definitely. And I think D&D, uh, fifth edition at least, they brought in this milestone because people were tired of this calculating and and number crunching, and uh, which I don't think is that much, but it could be daunting to people who'd never played. And they have this milestone is, uh, you know, and it's sometimes it's written into certain adventures or that use the milestone experience uh, leveling up method. Yeah, the, the, mad, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Oh. It says that for every um, level you go down, you gain a, a, a an experience oh. level, so mm, and you're sense. supposed to start at like fourth level or something when you oh. hit the dungeon. So, well, exactly, and so some modules are written that way. So, by the end of this portion of the adventure, the characters can gain a level, you know. And so now the DMs, game masters who run Dungeons and Dragons, they they kind of have in their head, oh, when they finish this part of the adventure, this should probably go up a level, if they if they plan that kind of adventure. Or they'll say they'll just say, "Oh yeah, it's about time for them to gain the level." So, yeah, I think a lot of it too, especially if you're running modules or or actual you know campaign settings that that have been written for you. A lot of times it'll tell you on the back, especially yes. for D and D, this this adventure is for levels one to four, and when you're done with it, you should all be level four. And then the next the next book comes out, it says this adventure is for levels. four four to 11 or something right and they yes. and because a lot of people want to go really high levels they really that's when it's exciting to them the boys are always telling me that i want to be 20th level and i'm like going what kind of monsters do i have to have to, to yeah. keep you interested at 20th level i mean we're going to be fighting gods and stuff because that's where you get to right well yeah so our friends steve and steve and his sons they play in a, with a different group and their GM runs high level games. I mean, super high level. And but you know, but you're talking about demigods and gods getting involved, because that's what's happening. Is you get to a certain level, and you know, you're talking about really powerful creatures or entities or whatever you want to call them. And though it's exciting for them and fun and all that, I think GMing that for me is kind of difficult. I've I've talked about that. Is is that the highest level that I usually run? is about 10th 11th level and then i'm like i don't know what to throw at these guys and i pretty much suck at tactics so <laughs> they, they just uh they tromp all over uh, the creatures right or the which is where online resources come in because then you can get creatures that are you know for their level and then you can come up when you when you look at those creatures then you can come up with scenarios that work for right. that level so well, that's one of the so that is a house rule right how however you're gonna um raise the experience points if you don't do it directly by the book which is that i don't think there's anything wrong with directly by the book especially like well unless you're doing the the old style where uh, certain people get the experience and other people don't then the it's not blow. yeah the killing blow 
So it was funny that we talked about that. We were just talking to that with our group, our Saturday group. It just came up about experience. And, and even though we we're playing Tales from Loop, that I guess they have experience. Yeah. But it's like one through five points, depending on what happens. And if you get five points, you get to raise something. Yes. I was. I thought it was kind of funny that we, de- you know, not devolved, but we started the conversation went to. Uh, no, it was because Bay asked me a question about about um, experience about what I was doing for and and then I was oh, talking how about how you were doing the experience for no, the didn't even ask me that I just had done the experience and because uh-huh. he, he asked me what I was what I had done oh. and so I I, told, I was we were just talking it was just a, a random conversation yeah so the conversation went all different directions and it was interesting that that Morgan said that he was really wanting to get into 3.5 and more recently this is after 5th edition came out I think and so he wanted to run a 3.5 game by the book raw roses written right experience was everybody gets different experience based on what they were involved in the combat or not involved in the combat or involved so you know and so i don't remember 3.5 or 3.0 because well, you you did the rule you did the experience the way you wanted to right that's true and i go oh yeah and and you're right because like in uh, advanced Dungeons and dragons the person who killed the the creature was the person who got the experience they must have some of that on dod online d DDO? No, DDO everybody, online. everybody gets experience. I don't know, because Augustine and Alan, when they're playing it, I always hear, you took my kill. I think they're just being possessive. Okay. <laughs> like Legolas and... Um, yes. And it's, it's friendly uh, competition. But it was... That's the way it was written, I believe, because people... That's the way people read it. Now, I may be totally wrong. It just... They were... They were had their own uh, house rules. But uh, when you have house rules... To me, it's like, how much are you changing the game? Because sometimes you could, like, house rules, like, hit points. That's a good house rule. I mean, it used to be. Yeah. Now it's D&D 5th edition, your first level, you get well, full maximum uh, hit, di- points hit points. Plus your whatever plus your, your modifier. modifier. But in, like, in AD&D, they didn't do that. You had a roll. And yeah. if you rolled a 1, eh, too bad. You were a very weak character. You're very first level. You're already weak because you're first level. So I think they changed those rules, but some people were already doing that before Fifth Edition came out, you know. And I don't remember if they did that in Third Edition with the automatic full. I don't know. Some but. of the other things that I read about for house rules were yeah. that every character needed to have a bond with another character, which a bond like you know some kind of connection, which is very helpful. And now I think a lot of people do the zero session. Which you say, I, I, say, I, such it, happiness. Well, now that I've I've sat through other people's besides Saul, um, <laughs> they do kind of a zero session, and then we start playing on the same day, which works. But those are the newer games that you don't have to like Tales of the Loop. You can make your character right there because, <laughs> and and then and they have ideas like for your backstory and stuff, right? Yes. So so. Um, that's very uncomfortable for me. So I, before I sat down and played Tales of the Loop with these guys, because I had to make a character because they already had characters, I, I talked to Saul and I go, well, it says that you can only have one from each um, character type. So I picked a character type that nobody had, and then I, I just kind of did everything. And then as we started the, before we started the game, it was a mini zero session where everybody was telling me what their characters were and we were they were reviewing what they were doing and and then i just completed the part where you have a connection to each of the right players. to the players <clears throat> and i think i think a lot of modern games 
do that kind of stuff because people started doing that anyway. Right, because it's kind of awkward to just be in a bar and and suddenly have a fight and then you're with the, all these people that suddenly you're traveling on the road with that you have no idea who they are. And, and are fully armed. Are you yes. going to fall asleep <laughs> and you're going to let these guys guard over you while you're sleeping? That you just met five <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> so those kind of house rules make the game just more, I hate to use the word believable, but... No, that's one thing that they use. That it also gives your you a reason to be with these people and also to protect them and not hurt them, right? Right. Let's get into some good things about backstories, right? Uh, not backstories. <laughs> Sorry. Let's, uh, about house rules. Well, things that you should talk about before you play the game, right? You know, before you run a game. So basically what you're saying is your zero session where you're setting up what people are going to expect from the game it could be that or you could just say you know you you tell them you know i'm running i'm running space opera but these are the rules changes that i have in my game because because the, because the original rule doesn't work for me which is pretty much why house rules came along right correct and so and D or whatever game you're playing and especially now uh with uh with covid and people a lot of people playing online that means a lot of people I think a lot more people are playing with strangers. Yes, and also in con games, it's very important that if you any of the, in most con games that most conventions, gaming conventions that I go to, that we go to, when they list the game, they have any house rules or modifications to the, to those. Right, because people normally, you know, and people are very particular. You know, when they say when they say, oh, oh, this guy's running a D and D game, a fifth edition D and D game, I want to play in it, and then. If they don't say what the house rules are, and you sit down and you're expecting the game rules as written, and this guy or this player, this GM, I shouldn't say guy, woman, man, whatever, starts throwing, oh, this is my seven page uh, uh, addendum to the character's abilities and stuff. Saul sounds a little bitter because he did go to a game like that where someone had altered the rules to the game he wanted to play. Yes, I forgot which one it was. It but was anyway. Twilight 2000 or oh, Twilight yeah. 2013. Well, there was all kinds of problems with yeah. that. But anyway, so that's important. You know, some people, they want to play the rules as written, and that's important to them. And it could be a deal breaker for them, right? Yes. So, so you definitely need people to know yeah. if you've you, changed things. Correct. And so well, you, the boys freaked out when I changed hit the hit point rule because I thought <laughs> it would be... They're like... You did it wrong, Mom. I'm like, oh. Uh. What you complain? I can't believe you gave him more hit points. But anyway, and then my, my son goes, is that retroactive? <laughs> and I'm like, no. Anyway, so, so yeah, that would be a house rule. And I think when you're playing online with strangers, you're playing at a convention, it's not as important as when you're playing. I mean, it, it's more important than when you're playing with your friends because your friends kind of know and you probably discuss what, what rule changes you like to see? Because that the group usually, unless unless you're real, uh, your GM's a real uh, authoritarian. So, you know, I don't like that rule. We're gonna change it. Uh, okay, okay, we guess you're the GM. <laughs> uh, I think when things like that happen, you know, in a group that you play with all time and are your friends, it's not a big deal. But with strangers who may or may not like the rule changes you make. You know, they you're, may not you'll probably want to discuss it with them too, or at least list it. Yeah, right? yeah. whatever. However, you're yeah. presenting the game. I think people uh, could like gaming conventions, and then what's funny is that I've always seen this variance 
or house rules or whatever you know when you when as a gm you apply to run the game they want a synopsis of the game to put in their little uh, program and like you know things that are important like what's the name of your game you know that's the and what what game are you playing what system are you what running? system and then they start what variation of the system or what uh what edition and then they go well are there any house rules or changes right so I think I never used it because I always played games as written. Well, I don't really think you did, but <laughs> you always tell the players that, you know, I these I think the only game I really changed was Space Opera, but nobody had ever heard of it, so like the, they don't care. I don't know that you changed it that much cuz you brought out charts and and Well, no, I did I did make it simpler. I think I eliminated the location to hit chart uh, I eliminated Space Opera has a lot of charts for if you're going to hit somebody it's not only just hitting them it's where you hit them and then what damage you do and blah 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 yeah and so I, I changed that and I changed the penetration hit tables I, I decided not to use those and then anyway it doesn't matter but uh, yeah so I did do those changes mainly because it was a very very crunchy system as Jolene is going on about and so at a con I wanted the game to flow a little bit quicker and not be bought in the new players. Almost everybody I played with never had heard the game until they came back and played in the game. Right. The following year. But if they were the if they were sitting down with me the first time, almost nobody had heard of it. And this is back in nineteen ninety six. A while is, ago. So no, but what I'm saying is, it's you know, it was published in 1981, so it was more recent. So if I were to run Space Opera now, I would say 99 percent of the people had never heard of it, and uh, it's out of print, right? No, it's still. Oh, be, it's believe still, it or not, it's the company is still around, and they sell PDFs, and they even sell the book form. So besides any rule changes that you're you want to tell them about, well, that's that's the biggest thing. House rules is rule okay. changes. Yeah, and I think. When you have to, ex- well, I think when you have to explain or have to tell people you know, what you're changing, some people may ask, well, why are you changing it? And so it's a good idea to tell them because then if people are inquisitive as to why you're making this change, because some people are going to ask you. And I think it's important to know why you're changing it. And I think it, it helps when people say, well, uh, why are you changing it? And then you have to come up with the with the reason why. or You should be prepared anyway right. to tell them. Yes. Because my uncle ran it this way, and this is the way that we run it in my house, and we will always do it, right? <laughs> so yes. there's a, there's other, I don't know so much that they're house rules, but there's a, a new idea in newer games, the, the rule of cool. Oh, yes. Which I didn't know, but Saul knew when I told him, and I was like, okay, I obviously, I don't know a lot, so. But it's basically, if it moves the story along, and it helps the narrative, you can do it. Right. So in this case, you're basically, uh, the rule of cool is ignore the rules and go with what makes the game exciting or what fits the the scene the scene and propels the game forward. And that's, that's, that's why they call it that, right? Because it's cool to keep the action going, to keep the story moving forward. And so when when you ignore the rules or don't really go by the rules exactly and you go with the rule of cool it's because you're you want to keep the game going forward and you want and it makes it for for most people it makes it more exciting if you allow characters or or whatever whatever however you think the rule of cool it should be applied 
And I think, you know, I think it's pretty cool. I think some games even incorporate that into their games. Don't roll for everything or something like that. It's the usual, usual one these days. And if a roll might give you a negative result or a, a result you don't want, then don't you don't make ask for that roll and propel the game forward by using the rule rule cool. I think it's pretty cool. I th- I think cool. I think it's pretty <laughs> neat. I think it's pretty. It's something that almost every GM should have in their pocket, and that idea of uh, fun and good storytelling and telling the story better or making it easier and making it exciting over like well technically uh, you can't do that we'll have to go back now and redo that because (laughs) you did it wrong yeah you know and i i don't know i mean i I think i think that's the way most games are heading toward is that you know and we're 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 talking about an rpg that came out of a miniature game where there wasn't a lot of player agency i remember playing in this one and it was rules as written i mean this is this is a not adnd this was a Original D and D, my brother took me. I think I've told you. I took. I went to a a gaming club in a different town because he had just got a car, and all I did was it was a dungeon crawl. I don't think I told you. And yes. they had a caller. Yes. And the caller was the only person allowed to talk to the GM. And then, which the, is bizarre, but I've seen it in in action, so it's interesting. And so the the caller would say, "Okay, uh, Saul's character and Jim's character are going to go to the door." Okay. Go ahead. So all I got to do is roll to hit, roll to hit. And then when the monster hit me and I went down, uh, okay, uh, Chad is going to drag Saul's body back. Ted, the the healer, is going to lay on hands or or, or uh, heal him. And then uh, Seth is going to step up and claim that sl- sl- slot. Now, I never said anything in that whole game, except all I did was, like, roll dice to hit. So, I mean, I was like, this is... The- and it I, was like being a piece in a, in a, in a live chess game. <laughs> something. Because I didn't even get to choose the move or not. I was like, okay. And so, you know. There it, was no player agency. You know, fast forward to, you know, characters having motivations and and backgrounds and and ideals and goals. Every player being able to talk to the GM. Whoa, what an interesting concept. So as the game evolves, as RPGs evolve and, and they they want to be uh, more collaborative is a good word. You know, the more stare at, uh, shared st- storytelling. Story you have people who want to uh, to have fun. And the GM who, who can read the table and say, okay, if I call for a row here or do something as in the, as the rule state, I should, it might, you know. Uh, you know gr- Ru- ruin the momentum of the game. Right. So ignoring that rule that's kind of like a house rule so yeah so hopefully this has given you an idea of what house rules are and right and ideas of where to apply them yes because it's an interesting topic that i didn't know there was so much to talk about (laughs) so there you go this is gaming perspectives with saul and jolene you have a good day 